Hello and welcome to the Property Roundup on iProperty Radio with myself, Carol Tallon, the show where we chat to industry experts to get a view on new trends emerging. This show is brought to you in partnership with Property District, changing the narrative of the industry. Today, I'm delighted to be joined by returning guest, regular guest indeed, uh, John McCartney, Director and Head of Research with B&P Paribas Real Estate Ireland. John, you're very welcome back. Thank you for joining us again today. My pleasure as always, Carol. John, you are my go-to um, when it comes to trying to understand, um, I, I suppose, the direction of travel of Ireland's commercial market and, and trying to understand in the mix of some quite contradictory headlines and data. Um, so you might just you might just actually set out where where are we in terms of commercial activity right now? Yeah, well, uh... I suppose, Carol, just to set the parameters, um, obviously commercial spans uh, a number of subsectors, including uh, offices, retail um, and logistics, stroke industrial. So they've all got slightly different dynamics, but a lot of the interest, I think, is in the office market. And at the moment, I mean, I think it is quite clear and has been actually for some time um, that the office market has been facing three challenges. Um, the first one really comes from the supply side. Um, so what we're now seeing, um, in fact, it, 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 it was crystal clear in 2022 and it will continue to be clear through the remainder of this year, is that development decisions that were taken prior to the onset of COVID have resulted in a glut of supply coming through and, and new offices being delivered. So last year, to put the numbers on it, we had about 240,000 square metres of new office space delivered in Dublin. Now, uh, you know, there's a little bit of an offset there because we've demolished some buildings as well. But still in all, that was the biggest uh, in inflow of new supply since before the global financial crisis. And this year, we'll have something similar, um, you know, uh, just due to, the, the 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 intricacies of timing and the randomness of it uh, the first half of the year actually didn't have a huge number of completions but the second half of this year will 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 have a lot of big office blocks completing and so that's a, a challenge to digest all of that space in any market and then on the demand side we have two separate challenges the first challenge is um, the, the turbulence in the tech sector that impacted in the second half of uh, last year. Um, and I think we're, we're sort of suffering the, the legacy effects of that. So um, again, just to focus the mind, a few, a few statistics are in order. Um, tech companies accounted for 52% of Dublin office leasing between 2017 and 2019 inclusive. Um, in quarter two of this year, that figure had gone down to 12.6%. Um, now, the issue isn't really that the tech firms have stopped hiring. In fact, compared with what has happened in other countries, um, tech employment in Ireland has held up really well. It's more so that at a global level, um, big tech uh, needs to demonstrate to its investors its commitment to cost containment. And that at a global level in other countries has involved, you know, significant 
shakeout of employment, so headcount reductions, headcount freezes. Um, and with that, I think, comes a mentality uh, that it's sort of not fashionable or ideal to be seen to be uh, committing to long-term leases on big office blocks. And we're suffering, um, or the Dublin office market is suffering um, a pullback in tech leasing because of that. So that's one of the, the factors that's dragging on the demand side. And the other factor is working from home. Uh, so uh, if a firm has 40% of its employees on any given day uh, remote working, and you can see that I'm one of those employees today from the surroundings. So, um, you know, what that does is it really in, enables or facilitates firms to rationalize their office space and to reduce their office footprint relative to the number of employees they have. So in, I suppose, thinking of it in analytical terms, it's a reduction in the office space per employee ratio. Yeah. So for every new job that's created back in the day, it, it might have consumed 13 square meters of space. Now it might be consuming something less than that. And in the future, that might go lower as 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 well. So that that has an impact on, on office demand. And as a result of all three of these factors, vacancy rates uh, have been been rising and they'll rise further by the end of the year. Um, thank you, John. I, I, I genuinely always appreciate that you put things in a very logical context. And I, I think that makes it easier for us to understand and maybe see um see some of the patterns at play. Just to go back uh, for, for my own benefit, kind of as a rule of thumb, you talked about how what we're experiencing on the supply side coming to the market is as a result of decisions making made kind of pre-COVID. What is, as a rule of thumb, and I appreciate it varies, um, what is the time lag from decision to delivery in the marketplace? Yeah, well, the construction phase um, is, is, is normally, I think, about two and a half years or something like that. Now, it varies, obviously, um, by the scale of the project, its location, um, what was on the site before and what needs to be done there, uh, and also... Uh, you know, um, you, you know, you know better than me, Carol. That um, construction projects can run into unexpected uh, snags on site that can delay things as well. But I think about two and a half years sounds right to me, for as an average for the construction phase. But of course, before that, you've got all sorts of things that 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 have to, boxes that have to be ticked. So you got to get your funding in place. You got to. Um, get your plans drawn up, you've got to make a planning application, you've got to get through the planning process and all of those things just take time. So I think it's probably, is is it, is it a four or five year um, window of time between the light bulb going on in somebody's head and, and, and the keys being handed over to the, the, the new tenant? Yeah, and actually that in itself is problematic because we can see that actually the pace of change in the marketplace is such and and there are so many different factors for that obviously the last uh three to four years have been exceptional they, you know they've been unusual but um arguably we're going to see more exceptional circumstances in the future and maybe uh in terms of development we need to get faster you know that actually there does need to if if not about getting faster does there need to be some bit of agility around the plans so a little bit like what we're seeing now with um 
plans before breaking ground actually we're seeing a change in planning um, and, and things like that so maybe it's building in that agility it's almost like a future proofing of development plans and um, I you know you you broke down helpfully which was great just about kind of the different sectors and I I, I want to return to offices that's where my primary concern is today but just I, I'm conscious that in recent years, logistics and ind and industrial, they were the real star performers. And part of that was, you know, increasing demand and supply wasn't increasing in line with that. Where are we with logistics at the moment? Yeah, so uh, I, in, the, in the occupational market, um, the demand for logistics property is, is still really, really strong. Now, people would say that that is driven by e-commerce. Um, I kind of I'm slightly skeptical of of that my take is that look e-commerce uh dictates where the goods go after they leave the warehouse you know so um but they don't really for a given level of 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 consumption um whether the goods are transported from the warehouse to a retail store or whether they're transported directly to individuals homes and offices for delivery um, shouldn't really change the quantum of space. It might change the technologies that are used within uh, warehousing facilities to pick orders to facilitate smaller batches being delivered to people's homes rather than bulk batches being delivered to shops. But it shouldn't really change the quantum. So my, my take on it, Carol, is that the driver of uh, the very strong logistics demand is mainly um due, due to population growth people need stuff and that is it stuff needs to be warehoused and and and, and handled through um a, a, um a distribution chain and that 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 is it so the more people you have the, the more space you need um and probably to a lesser extent also supply chain reconfigurations arising from a disruption caused by by brexit i think as well you know um i i suppose um... I uh, maybe I'm I'm a little confused about the the e-commerce side and the impact on that, but part of the argument around e-commerce and, and the link between that and increasing in, uh, logistics is about increased consumerism as well. So and and actually I, I I heard it explained in very simple terms that helped me understand it is that if somebody's going to the high street, well then they might also have a coffee with friends, they might have lunch. So essentially they're spreading. There, you know, that actually they're enjoying some service and hospitality based with the same level of income. If you're exclusively shopping online, then the budget allocated goes exclusively online. So therefore, it's more products essentially being bought and shipped to your house. Now, that's probably a very simplistic way to explain it, but it did help me understand that there's an element of culture and consumer behavior feeding into that as well, not just about what is consumed. Okay, well, that's an, an interesting. Um... That's an, an, an interesting one that I actually haven't heard that before, Carol, uh, and we do have a, a way of testing it because if, if you ask them nicely, uh, the CSO will provide you with a breakdown of personal consumption expenditure between goods and services. And I, I, I do um, get that data off them um, and I must have a look and just see is there a sort of a different trajectory in the growth between uh, goods, goods and, and services. My recollection let's not I haven't got it at the at the front of my brain so go back and check the numbers but that's a good one Carol yeah that might there may be well be something in that well that leads us into a question I had about retail because um I I know very little about retail and just following I I suppose the data that's coming out 
Um, it is certainly the trends are not what I would have been expecting. And and by the way, uh, they're not the trends I would have been expecting prior to COVID. So, for example, you know, coming from a prop tech and championing e-commerce uh, and, you know, we've been talking about the demise of retail for well over a decade. And again, behavior, the human element seems to be what throws the data, you know, what throws the forecasts in all of these situations. So what are we seeing on the ground in terms of retail at the moment? Because it's difficult. It's difficult to get past some of the mixed messaging. Yeah, it is. And, and indeed, only this morning we see that consumer sentiment, uh, the the index is, is just out this morning and it's at the slowest point for six months. So I think consumers are are somewhat nervous. I mean, I think a big part of what has happened in the retail sales index, which is um, in, in essence uh, a measure of face to face retail activity, um, because it doesn't really in, in, include uh, online um in, in in any meaningful way um I, I think part part of what we've seen is that the collapse during covid then led to a very sharp bounce back so your year on year uh comparisons were disrupted firstly in a downward direction and then when you know when you got to the 12 month anniversary of that sort of crash in 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 retail spending they bounced back in the other direction so it it is it has been quite quite a difficult um, sector to to read. I mean, what we can certainly say, Carol, is that um, from a property investment point of view, uh, retail uh, has accounted for a much greater share in the first half of this year than it has accounted for in the last uh, the last three or four years between 2019 and 2022 it accounted for about I think from memory six and a half percent of investment spending and it's up to I think over 20 percent in the first half of th this year um and but but what is really interesting within that is that the type of retail assets that uh, investors are targeting are completely different from the ones that they were targeting, you know, back in the Celtic Tiger days or even, um, you know, after the GFC. So at, in those days, um, trophy assets, high street stores on Grafton Street, that sort of thing, big shopping centres were what, what investors were. We're, we're buying now they're buying regional assets it's unglamorous sort of stuff um retail parks neighborhood centers um grocery uh, led schemes mm -hmm. particularly um and very often outside dublin but in well populated regional towns and i i i think the way they're looking at it is look um you know this is quite a defensive in, by its nature, it's not real. A grocery store isn't going to do particularly better or worse, depending on the economic cycle. People still need their spuds and their milk and eggs and cheese, and that is it. And they don't stop consuming those in a downturn, and they don't really buy a lot more of them in a, in an upturn. And so, I think investors, um, particularly in a in a sort of an environment of of elevated economic uncertainty as we've had since interest rates have started rising um i i think they want to lock into that kind of predictability and steady uh incomes 
Um, yeah, I, and, and I, I understand exactly kind of the assets you're talking about. We've seen it with those retail parks on the outskirts of town that are regularly blamed for the hollowing out of town centres. And, you know, so we are seeing almost like a consolidation or certainly investors are looking to consolidate assets, um, but in a way that maybe is not serving town centres. But that feels like maybe a conversation or a larger conversation for another day. Um, I suppose I, I'd like to return to offices because I think that's just a really interesting space at the moment. And it's interesting because um, I it feels to me like it's still a sector that's that it's still in play in terms of the human behaviour, the trends, work from home. We're seeing those still evolve since COVID. So, so much of what's going to dictate uh, offices depends on human behaviour. And that feels to me like it isn't really settled. People are still changing their minds. I'm seeing increasingly in, in our own company, um, and we would have adopted a work from home policy long before COVID, but actually COVID almost... Uh, frustrated our working procedures to the point where um, and I don't know if I'm proud to say this but actually we've called for more time back in the office and in fact we're just in the process of moving our Galway office from a small serviced GTEC space to a space that's about five times larger so we can grow the team and, and we're taking a larger space and growing the team with the expectation that the team will be in the office um, at least half the time if not more and that's more than we would have been pre-COVID. So it feels to me there's still a lot undecided in this sector. So how are investors looking at this? Yeah, so you're 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 absolutely right, Carol. And the reality, I think, is that we 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 shouldn't expect. I mean, maybe it'll it'll you know maybe it's unrealistic to expect that we'll ever get a, a sort of a steady state. Um, situation but i think we won't know i think what what the what 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 the future is for remote working or working from home really until we see um a, a downturn in the labor market and i think when unemployment starts to pick up again then i think we will see uh, if employers step in to assert their leverage at that point in the cycle and say, come on, everybody back to work. Uh, you know, at the moment, it seems to have crystallized that um, working from home maybe suits employees more than it suits employers. That seems to be the way it's crystallizing. Um, and in a tight labor market, employees have the whip hand and um, it's going to be difficult for employers to uh, enforce um, return to work mandates. Uh, and most of them are not really trying to do that as far as I can see. But leaving all of that aside, um, I it's while it's inherently an interesting topic of discussion from the point of view of office demand it's actually a fringe issue um you know so as i said earlier um you know the office space per employee ratio has pulled back a, a little bit since covid um and that is because we've increased the number of service sector employees but in the dublin office market for example the occupied space in total hasn't risen by the same proportion. So on average, uh, the office space per employee ratio has moved down from in or around 13 square meters per person down to is it 11 and a half or something like that. So it's moved down a little bit. And um, obviously 
that does subtract from office demand because for each extra service sector job that's created instead of consuming 13, you're consuming 11 and a half or whatever the exact number is. So that's a little bit less. And therefore, when you've got a, a, an oversupply as we do at the moment, you've got a surplus of vacant space that needs to be digested by jobs growth. And it's going to take a little bit longer, all things equal, um, if the each job um, consumes a smaller amount of space. But the, the the, the, the thing that we're ignoring in this debate, I think, and, and, and it's by far the bigger factor, is that if the macroeconomic forecasts that we have um, from our various forecasting organisations, both in Ireland and outside, like the IMF and the, and the European Commission, if they come true, Ireland is going to continue to be an economic outperformer and we're going to create lots and lots of service sector jobs. And uh, that the effect of that is going to dominate in terms of office demand, any uh, pullback arising from a, a sort of a marginal edging down of the space per employee ratio. Um, I, I think the space per employee ratio, it's it's an interesting metric. And I know you started the conversation around offices talking about, you know, rationalizing and reducing footprint. Um, but again, I, I, I'm always trying to think of things kind of in their most simple terms. In their most simple terms, as humans, we know we're spending anywhere up to 90% of our time indoors. So if we're not in the workplace, where are we? Are we in, in at home? And we know our homes are getting smaller, so therefore we don't have the same disposable area to turn into office spaces as such. So I, I know we've had the conversations about kind of uh, the, the remote working, the other place, the other places that people are, are working. Um, and we're seeing that actually the co-working spaces weren't used as much as people envisage they might be, but it did tend to be coffee shops or or other other spaces. Um, and I'm conscious that BNP Paribas is a global organisation. So you have access to global insights. Is there anything maybe that Ireland should be paying attention to, you know, trends that we're seeing in other countries? Yeah, well, I think one thing that that that's um, clear, clear, Carol, is that um, at the moment, um, this less but better dynamic seems to be universal across, uh, certainly across Europe, and I think the States as well. Um, so um, we've, in a way, our conversation has already dealt with the last bit, you know, so maybe I think firms at, at this moment in time are, are rationalizing their office space, um, but they do want better space. And um, that, that I think, is partly driven um, by, you know, ESG commitments, you know, so occupiers have their own um, sustainability goals that they uh, want to meet and, and the building that they occupy is an important part of that. And then that transmits to investors who recognize that consumer preferences have moved towards sustainable buildings and therefore they want to buy those buildings as well and the values reflect that. Um, so I think that's part of it, but it's not the entire uh, element of it because I think the way firms are thinking about this is that if staff are off site two or three days a week, perhaps, then you want to make it as good as possible for them when they're back in the office. You want to create um, an environment that's pleasant, welcoming, uh, and, and facilitates uh, interaction uh, when you're in the workplace rather than just 
sort of lining up at the desk and putting your earphones on and, and chomping away on the on, on, on the keyboard. Um, John, I love the less but better argument. It's very Audrey Hepburn and Sabrina Fair. She has this uh, amazing, uh, this great line um, where sometimes, you know, sometimes more isn't better. It's it's just more. And I, it's very true. And it's something that we've used a lot here. And, you know, it's maybe something that hasn't filtered down into real estate delivery as such. But um, I, I think when we're talking about the quality of the workplace, it has to be part of the conversation of the changing expectations from the workplace. Yeah. And I think that's a conversation that's still unfolding. Um, yeah. But I'm very conscious of your time. So before we finish up today, um, just in terms of our expectations, you know, we're, we're now um, we're, we're almost on the cusp of um, Q4 for, for this year. I, I can't believe this year has flown by so quickly, but I know. We're, we're really looking into 2024. Um, what are the expectations? How are you advising your clients in the wider market? Yeah, well, I'm I'm quite upbeat actually about, about commercial. You know, so uh, you know what I've observed o over the years, Carol, is that you know uh, cycles are inevitable. Uh, commercial property markets are cyclical all over the world. Um, it it is absolutely universal, and the drivers of those cycles are 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 universal. Um, so cycles are inevitable. And when we get to the beginning of a downswing, for whatever reason, um, you know, I, I, I find that there is a cultural reticence about being upfront about that. And, and you know, we, we sort of try in BNP Paribas is Europe's biggest bank. And, you, you know, we, we sort of try and just ensure that we, we 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 call things straight. So we have been saying sort of for 18 months that we were entering into a downswing. And I think the market took a bit of time to catch up with that. And it was really only when it became absolutely obvious within the metrics that vacancy was rising and that rents were under pressure and so forth that the market sort of caught up with that narrative. But actually, by the time the market is catching up with that narrative, what has often happened is you're kind of nearly at the point where you, the market has bottomed out and you're on an upswing. And, and, and the commentary, in a way, is only getting its head around the fact that, you know, they're, they're in a place where they can begin to communicate some bad news. And in fact, the, the bad news has already passed. So I think we're actually within touching distance of the Dublin office market bottoming out. As I was saying earlier, uh, you know, last year was a big year for completions. This year will be another big year for completions. But after um, uh, 2023, then the pipeline of completions uh, reduces quite considerably. Um, I think the demand side factors that are dragging on the market will will um, certainly, I think the, the tech one will gradually abate. I think that, um, you know, over time, once the sector stabilizes and demonstrates that it's taken the cost cutting seriously, I think they will be in a position to begin leasing off office blocks again. They're working from home. It, it, I think it's uncertain, um, but it's not the big factor here. The big factor for Dublin is going to be the jobs growth. So my take on it really is that the vacancy rate um, is, 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 is going to rise between now. I, by our calculations, it's about just over 12%. I think it's going to hit 15.5% at peak. That'll be later this year or early next year. Um, and then at that point, you will be left with a sort of an overhang, I reckon, of a, around 200,000 square metres 
of vacancy above and beyond what would be consistent with rental growth. And therefore, it's just a matter of how quickly that surplus of vacant space gets digested. It might be a little bit slower um, because of the working from home, but equally, I think if the macroeconomic forecasts are correct, we're going to create enough service sector jobs to ensure that that gets digested pretty quickly. So my expectation, and it is all predicated on the macro forecasts being correct, but my expectation is that we'll see rents, I think, uh, coming under further pressure for the remainder of this year and probably the first half of next year. I think uh, in uh, 2025, uh, rents will stabilise and we'll begin to then uh, be back into rental growth in 2026 as that vacancy overhang, which is relatively modest. Um, I mean, in, in 2010, we had an overhang of well over 400,000 square metres uh, above and beyond the natural vacancy rate. Uh, when the market hit rock bottom, uh, it'll be less than half of that this time. So I'm 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 pretty positive about the market without denying um, in any way, shape or form that we're in the downswing of a cycle at present. Um, I, I think that's a, a good note to finish on there that we're almost within touching distance of the bottom of the Dublin office market. Um, so that will be an interesting one to watch into the middle of next year. Um, thank you so much for, for being so generous with your time. As always, that was John McCartney, Director and Head of Research with B&B Paribas Real Estate Ireland. And thank you indeed for joining us and for sharing those valuable insights. My thanks as always to our show producer, Katie Tallon, and to the production team at Hear Me Roar Media. Also, huge thanks to the show sponsor, Property District, changing the narrative of the industry. If you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast and check out all of the other real estate and construction shows on iProperty Radio. And thank you indeed for tuning in. We'll catch you on the next episode of the Property Roundup on iProperty Radio.